I started coaching in June 15, 1984, you know, and at that time, I didn't know a whole lot about this business. I, I never even thought that I wanted to be a coach until Coach Calhoun gave me the opportunity. And so I, I made a pact with myself that I wanted to immerse myself like never before into this opportunity. Uh, as, as a black coach during those times in the mid 80s, late 80s, and, and even into the early 90s, there were not many black coaches overall, uh, head coaches especially, but even assistants. And so um, we, we had our own little fraternity that we could utilize and lean on and share ideas and, and thoughts and ideas with because there just there wasn't that many opportunities. And you, so you had, you know, two, there were two sides. One, there, there weren't that many opportunities for growth. And two, those few opportunities for growth that were provided, uh, you had to make sure that you were the best that you could possibly be so that you could put yourself in position to, to elevate as an assistant or potentially, you know, later on the line uh, as a head coach. I want to create something that I wish my younger self could have had when I first entered the profession, which is a platform to serve and impact the next generation of coaches. Young coaches, young professionals, young leaders, they need to see black faces and they need to um, know their story. Personal lives are generally publicized within our profession. So our platform will be very unique because our guests will all share their powerful stories to help our listeners unlock their potential greatness. Guys, um, this interview right here, you are about to hear from a coach that cares much more about developing his young men off the court um, than he does on the court. We have Dave Lato here. He's the head men's basketball coach at DePaul, and he has been in the game for a long time. Um, he's been through a bunch of ups, a bunch of downs, but one thing that he's always stayed true to um, and that he's expressed to us is that his values, his values, his strategic thinking, is what has, you know, kind of been the blueprint of helping him navigate himself through this profession. Um, and as you know, as a black man, especially starting around the time we started, um, back in 1984, we say it was his first year you got his coach. Yeah, yeah, so he got it to 84. Yeah, so you can only imagine um, what things were like back then. But um, we really enjoyed just talking to him and just hearing um, the way he thinks through things and the way he kind of, he kind of developed that um, philosophy um, of navigation. Yeah, man, he's a, he's a hard worker. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's something that he talked about. He wouldn't be where he's at without having the value, the value, that part of his value system of, of working hard. Um, he talked about how obviously he got that a lot from the pioneers that blazed the path before him, the John Thompson's of the world, the George Ravelins. And then obviously he played for uh, GM Calhoun, um, and so, you know, he had some people that that helped him along the way. Um, but the thing I really took from from Coach Lato uh, is when he really talked about being intentional about developing your personality um, and really how how people view you. You know, and I think, uh, you know, for him, like he said, you know, you want to be authentically yourself. And that's what that's kind of something we, we talk about a lot with our guests. But for him to say, you know. Who or what type of person are you when you walk into the room? Because ultimately, the people that you're going to be around, the administration, the families, the players, those are the people that's going to dictate your success. So who are you to them every single day? Because 
that's ultimately what's going to help you, you know, get to where you're trying to go. And so I like how he talked about that a little bit. And uh, I'm looking forward to you guys hearing the rest of this interview. Definitely, definitely. And um, to piggyback off what you said about developing your personality, also um, he expressed how he was very intentional about developing those relationships. Yeah. Um, you know, the people that you're around, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say they, you know, you know, they can control what you do and things like that. But uh, we all know that this business about is about relationships and we spend a lot of time with each other. Um, you know, and if you're not, you know, comfortable in the way that you you maneuver um, on and off the court and, you know, outside of outside of just coaching your team, um, you know, how are you in meetings? How are you in any aspect of the job? Um, but guys, get ready for this one here is going to be a good one. It's going to be um, informative and it is going to be uh, really good. So get your pen, get your notebook, you know, get ready for a good one. Welcome back to the show. We are here with Coach Dave Lato, head men's basketball coach at DePaul. Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with us. Oh, great pleasure. Thank you so very, very much for having me. This is the Black Excellence in Sports podcast, where we highlight those who we believe have demonstrated Black excellence. We want to use their story, their voice, and their testimony to inspire others um, to, un to unlock their greatness. Coach, when you hear black excellence, how would you define that? Wow, that's a that's a uh, a loaded question because it has so many different dimensions to it. But you know, for me, um, the, the first thing I think it was pride. You know, understand that excellence is about being prideful in who you are. Uh, being a, a a black man and a person of color means that you know, in this world that we live in, you have to do everything within your power, and sometimes more than the average person to get to where you need to go. Um, black excellence means that you're not an excuse-based individual, that you just show up every day and do um, what you need to do to be successful. It means you have to have tough skin uh, to be able to, to persevere, uh, particularly in this sport where there's so many pitfalls that you can uh, fall into. Uh, but it's just, you know, for me, like I said, more than anything is doing what you love to do with a, with a great sense of pride and knowing that, um, that, that life is bigger than you, you know, and, and this sport requires that you, um, help so many people that you're around. And, and I think, you know, for me, showing myself as somebody who has great confidence, yet great humility, uh, could be a sense and a resource for other people as they look to see what I have done or what I try to do. And, and as best they can, you know, inject something of some part of that into their life as they go through their own trials and tribulations. Coach, can you highlight people that have demonstrated black excellence to you? Well, the, you know, there, there, there are those who um, I've been close to and then there are those who I've admired from afar. You know, in, in terms of close to, I, I, I didn't have a dad growing up. You know, I kind of went through, you know, don't want it to be typical, but a, a, a typical household. Mom worked a lot, and 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 I didn't. And my father wasn't around. And so when I went to college, um, you know, the, the one of the gentlemen that that helped recruit me was an assistant coach by the name of Keith Motley. You know, not not well known across the country, but he he was a player at. I went to Northeastern University in Boston, uh, and he became a coach. He was uh, at that time he was you know part time coach. He worked at the university in the admissions department. Uh, and he taught me so much that I did not know about being a man. 
uh, being a black man, about responsibility, uh, about humility, all the things that, that I think I use today still. Uh, I use his, him as an example. He became a, a doctor. He got his PhD. He was a, until very recently, a college president. Uh, so to start from humble beginnings, and he was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and go to, to college on a basketball scholarship, and then to become not only a great human being, but in society, to become a college president, it was awe-inspiring for me all throughout the journey. And so I remember that, you know, to this day as somebody who I, I wanted to be like, you know, I was, I was, uh, follow him around like, like a, like a puppy, just because I want, I hinged on every word. He introduced me to my wife. He taught me right from wrong, you know, fraternity members, all those things that helped shape who I became at that time as a young man and, and the things and value systems that I use today as, as a grown man. And so, uh, in the close proximity to my life, he is the one black individual that I, that I hold most dear. Uh, in terms of, you know, on the outside, uh, growing up as I did in this business, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s, uh, John Thompson, George Raveling, John Cheney, Nolan Richardson were people that I knew, uh, didn't know great, but but I idolized them. And so I, I uh, hinged on every word that they would say and all the movements that they that they went about, not just in coaching and learning, you know, that part of it, but again, how to be a, a black coach in this business and and survive and become successful because they did it at the highest level. So I tried to be a sponge and every time they were around, I, I got to know, you know, specifically Coach Raveling on a on a you know friend friendship basis. And we had a lot of times where we went to eat dinner or we'd spend time at the gym and do those kind of things. And when I was an assistant at Connecticut, you know, being around Georgetown was awe-inspiring, you know, for me. And so although we were rivals and combatants, you know, it was, it, he was a gentleman. Uh, that I that I really looked up to, and uh, he, he more than anything was a very critical thinker. And so, anytime there was a conversation about what was and what wasn't, he always had another avenue that he could take your mind to. And so, it, that more than anything inspired me to think outside the box and be an against against the grain thinker. Coach, growing up, you had all those men: George Ravelin, John Thompson, Nolan Richardson. Um, you had some legendary men to, to idolize and mimic, but you also said those those men showed you what it looked like to be a black man in this business. Can you explain that a little more thoroughly to our listeners? Yeah, so you know, I, I started coaching in June fifteenth, nineteen eighty four. You know, and at that time, I didn't know a whole lot about this business. I, I never even it, it thought that I wanted to be a coach until. Coach Calhoun gave me the opportunity. And so I, I made a pact with myself that I wanted to immerse myself like never before into this opportunity. Uh, as a black coach during those times in the mid 80s, late 80s, and, and even into the early 90s, there were not many black coaches overall, uh, head coaches especially, but even assistants. And so um, we, we had our own little fraternity that we could utilize and lean on and share ideas and, and thoughts and ideas with because there just there wasn't that many opportunities and you, so you had you know two there were two sides of it one there, there weren't that many opportunities for growth and two those few opportunities for growth that were provided uh, you had to make sure that you were the best that you could possibly be so that you could put yourself in position to to elevate as an assistant or potentially you know later on the line uh, as a head coach and so it was a very different time than we have right now where you see uh, most 
men's and women's basketball programs, there are assistant coaches anyway of, of color on every staff and sometimes multiple where they may be, you know, one or none on a lot of staffs across the country. And so trying to navigate that was, was different. So you looked up to people because you saw and, and got a chance to, to try to learn how they became successful and how they navigated this business at a, at a, at a time where it wasn't as easy to even get in, never mind, do what you do. Now, we still obviously have a long way to go, especially on the head coaching front and administrative front. But at the same point in time, the entry level, just to get into the business wasn't there at that time uh, like it is now. Coach, when you talked about black excellence, you you mentioned having no excuses. Um, can you explain a time where you've had to, you know, it was a tough time. You just had to think, man, OK, no excuses. I got to get through this. Well, you know, I, I tell people because I, I think, you know, now that I'm older, people look and say, wow, you know, I, I'd like to get to where you're at. And and one, I tell them I'm, I'm very lucky. Uh, I've had some good breaks, but I think some of it has created my own luck. And the other the other part is, you know, like I said before, being humbled in this business to know that you have to get through a lot of situations. You know, I, I, I worked for uh, Coach Jim Calhoun and he was a tremendous mentor uh, and gave me a lot of freedom. Um, but but it wasn't an easy existence. I mean, we 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 worked our tail off, you know, from early morning to late at night. We met three, four, five, six hours a day. Uh, sometimes we'd meet at 8.30 and, and we'd get out of our meeting to, you know, five minutes to three, practice at three. And so having to do what you needed to do as an assistant, whether it's recruiting or, you know, scouting or whatever the things that, that, that came in front of you, you couldn't do that until the end of the day, you know, at five, six o'clock at night. Uh, and so you couldn't wake up the next day and say your job wasn't done or you didn't call this recruit, you didn't do that. Uh, you know, for all the other things that you had to do. And so it kind of, you know, gave me a sense of, of multitasking and, and making sure that, as I mentioned, that you couldn't, you couldn't wake up any day without the job being done. And, and it was a lot of check marks along the way, the things that we had to do, particularly in recruiting and, and player development that, that didn't allow us to have uh, any excuses. And so, um, you know, it taught me uh, early on and some things that you, that you teach your players as well, uh, about not having any excuses about whatever is in front of you. You have to survey it, understand it, uh, navigate it, and then complete it. And, and that's kind of the things that I learned uh, as part of my, my journey as an assistant. Coach, what are some ways you created your own luck within the profession? Um, hard work, you know, that's the first thing. Um, you know, I, 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 tell myself and, and others that I probably as a college athlete and student underachieved, you know, I, I wasn't as serious. And so when you finish, you realize that, man, I left some, some meat on the bone here. And so I made a pack myself that I was going to work extremely hard when I got an opportunity to coach. So that was the first thing. And then, you know, uh, I learned early on, you, you have to, it's, it's how people view you. You know, and, and you have to be authentic in how people view you. You know, you can't fake them out. Uh, and if you do, it's not going to last very long. And so uh, my to work on my interpersonal relationships on all levels, you know, with players and recruiting, with families, uh, in administration, with the people you work around, so that when you walk through the hallways uh, of, your, of your offices and, and, and your department and your university, they don't just see particularly as a black coach, so that guy more, he, he had a great relationship with the guys and he can recruit, you know, there's much more to it, but you have to work really hard 
in order to have people see you as something different than that. And that means that your personality and the development of your personality has to be, has to be, you have to be really aware of that, you know, that you can, you know, I guess it's called, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, code, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's it called today? Uh, I forget what it's, my son calls all the time. Anyway, I'll fit, I'll think of it in a second, but um, there's a, there's a different mindset in talking to an 18 year old than it is a 45 year old assistant athletic director. Uh, and, and you have to understand that you have to be you, you can't change and be one person one day and the next you know, be somebody else the next day, uh, because people can see through that, but you have to understand, uh, and then have a vision of how you want to approach the way people view you. And because people control life and they especially control your, your future in this business. And one good thing could lead to an opportunity or one bad thing sent, said about you can prevent you from getting that next opportunity. And so it's really important uh, to, to work really hard at, at development of, of who you are and, and that person in the mirror uh, and what, what you want people to see when they look at you. Coach, I love how you, you know, you talked about all these things you have to develop and none of it was about basketball. It was about who you are, relationships, um, and being able to, you know, adapt to how you carry yourself and things like that. Um, I also like that you said, um, you have to, is a different approach how you talk to different people, but at the same time, you still have to be yourself. Um, and I want to know, um, as a head coach, um, as the leader of the program, um, how, how do you separate yourself as a black man? Because it's not, it's not many. Um, so as, as a black man, how do you separate yourself being that leader? Um, as a head coach. Yeah. So first thing I'll go back to the, the phrase I was thinking was code switching. <laughs> and, and, um, but how, how do I separate myself? You know, there's a different way you have to, I, I don't initially try to separate myself because it's about being authentic and you have to be yourself. Uh, so to try to be something that you're not, you know, is revealing to those who, who know, you know, uh, for me, uh, I, I can be really complex uh, in my thought. I, I, I consider myself a really deep thinker, but I also understand I'm not the smartest person in the room most of the time. So I, I, I try to use common sense at, at most anything that I contemplate. You know, what, what makes sense? And it's surprising how many people think that they have it and, and don't use it. And so I use the phrase common sense. It's not so common. Uh, but for me, the, the separation is just to be consistent uh, with who you are, what you believe in. You know, to, I have these, these pillars that I try to live by, that, that I've always tried to live by. You know, there's a spirituality. Uh, there, as I mentioned, there's a humility. There's a respect and there's a responsibility. And so you try to understand what they mean in your everyday life. Because if you're consistent with those things, people are going to notice, you know, people that have a, a head on their shoulders or people that are perceptive will notice those things about you the more they're around you. And so not just one day or one moment or one thing, but the consistency of how you take care of your business, how you treat people. Uh, I always tell, you know, and I, I could ask the, the both of you and without, you know, going to Wikipedia, what, what's my coaching record? And you wouldn't off the top of your head know what that is. But if you made one or two phone calls or, or just my name came up, people would know who I am. 
And, and, you know, I heard it from Aretha Franklin many, many years ago that the secret to success is to do something and do it well, but do it over a long period of time. And so each and every day you work on that and, 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 you know, sooner rather than later, you create that separation uh, that will allow you to go from you know one day to the next, one year to the next. And, and in this business that can, you know, swallow you up and, and spit you out. It, it ended up for me, you know, as I said, being very, very lucky and, and trying to create that luck through who I am and what I try to do on a day-to-day basis. Coach, how do you stay true to yourself and stay consistent with your value system and not get caught up in how people try to describe you in this profession with, with your wins and losses? Um, you know, you, you have to, and I did this a long time ago, you know, uh, I could ask anybody that is competitive or is particularly in this business, what's your definition of winning? You know, the first thing they might say is, man, I'm, it's when we're cutting down those nets. We just won a conference championship. We went to the NCAA or we went somewhere or the goal is to win a national championship. That's, that's what I want to do. And I don't think that there's a coach alive that doesn't want to do that. So that's part of the definition of winning. But if you do that and you, what expense can that come with? You know, so again, I'll go into the value system and what, what you're about. And so navigating through this business requires you because there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of, you know, things that go on that could potentially compromise who you are. Uh, but at the end of the day, if good things happen, you'll know why, because you, you've got a set of values that you live by. And if it doesn't happen, uh, then you also know why, because you, you refuse to succumb to see the, the things that sometimes this business will ask you to do. Um, and, and, or, or just change yourself for, or, you know, take a left turn on what you believe in or, you know, all those things. And so I, I try to preach to myself as I preach to the players, you know, every single day about, you know, you, you're not, you, you're not a basketball player in everybody's eyes more than you should be a person that plays basketball. And, and, and they have, you have to really believe in those things every day. And so, um, for me, it was redefining the definition of winning. Uh, so uh, I, it's part of me you know, being one of the luckiest people that, that, that I could possibly come because my experiences over, over time have been plentiful. It's done a tremendous, tremendous amount for me personally and professionally. Uh, I live a life that I could never have dreamed of living. Uh, but yet, you know, in this business, somebody says, well, have you been to the Final Four? Have you been to Sweet 16? And so if that answer is no, then people will judge you as not being successful. And I look at it, you know, completely different than that. You know, as a competitor, I, I believe I'm one of the most competitive people that, that there is, uh, but yet and still, it doesn't mean that, you know, that the journey is requiring of me having to attain those things that, that the people in this basketball world or outside of it mean, you know, says that I have to get. But you talked about um, navigating through your value system. Um, I think that's very powerful, and, it, and it's a common theme that I hear from successful leaders. Um, can you talk about when you develop that value system and um, how you implement that in your program? Yeah, so you know you have you have check check marks all along the way, right? Starts in your home when you're when you're a youngster, and hopefully you grew up in a healthy household where your your family has given you a, a set of values that you don't always understand. And so it was my mother who you know told the line of what was and what wasn't, and who you know, what you should and shouldn't do, and all those things. So I learned it very early. I didn't understand it, but I learned it. Uh, I, I credit you know my family with the start of it. 
Uh, and then when I when I went to college, very fortunately, and I think that's why I take my role so seriously that, uh, you know, other than your mother or your father or particular members of your family, a coach is probably your, your most trusted confidant. Uh, and so in my role uh, as a coach, I try to do that. But even, you know, my coaches, when I, when I was a player, gave me those same lessons that, that were taught in my house. Uh, and so once I got to go from, student to teacher, I try to both use those things and learn, you know, other things on top of those that I could utilize to, to teach. And I understand that, you know, basketball, as I said, is, is, is what we do. It's not who we are. So if I can, if I can use those values uh, on an everyday basis, it quite naturally is going to manifest itself on the court even more. And so it's not just about how fast you run or, or, you know, how, how well you shoot, uh, but it's about your mindset. And, and I also know that the, the, the greatest gift that I can give to one of our young uh, athletes is the gift of confidence. And I have to do that a lot of times away from the game of basketball so that when they step on the court, uh, they know that they can do you know, incredible things. And so I try to tie the two of them in together in my conversation. And anybody that knows me knows that one, I talk a lot. And two, I talk a lot about things unrelated to basketball, because I do believe they, they, they transcend basketball. And then when you apply it to the game, you can be that much better off. Coach, how do you help your young men overcome adversity? Um, boy, that's a, that's a great question. So we're in the middle of a four month separation right so now as we try to bring our players back to campus uh everybody is invested in the structure of it you know we got to get them back on the court and you know from home and we got to get them back in shape the, the one thing uh, that i'm focusing on more than anything else is their mental health you know they never ever in a million years thought by leaving home and going to college that they'd have to come back and live with mom and dad or mom, you know, or auntie or grandma for four months. Uh, that has done something to them that we don't see yet. Uh, and so, uh, one, I've got to understand that and I've got to nurture that and bring them back to a place where they feel like that person in the mirror is somebody of great stature, great confidence, and can do wonderful things. So, so that's the, the, the here and now part of it. Um, the separation from times gone by or the things that I try to do consistently, you know, for, for my worth is to be able to connect with them uh, on, on a, on a different level other than just being their coach, you know, and I, and I tell uh, a young man in the recruiting process, if you look at me and you see a coach and I'm done, I've done a very bad job of representing myself. I have to be so much more to you. You know, I've got to be a confidant. I've got to, I've got to be a big brother. I've got to be an uncle. I've got to be a dad. I've got to be a psychologist. I've got to be a teacher. I've got to be many, many things to you. Uh, that's going to require those hats to be worn, you know, in a lot of different ways on a lot of different days. And so um, those relationships uh, become very valuable because they're teaching relationships. And as much as, as I have the opportunity to teach them, they teach me. You know, um, I come from a, a, a different generation and, and young people today, the separation between, you know, my parents and my grandparents and, and them growing up is, is larger than I think ever been. Uh, but I can't use that as an excuse to why they may or may not listen to me. I've got to be able to meet them halfway and understand what they're going through and, and know that as, as part of it, that I can grow as much as they grow. And if they see me 
listening to them, if they say me accepting the things that, that they don't think I can understand, I think it, that, that they will know that I'm more on their team and, and understand that I'm in it uh, in lockstep with what they're trying to do. And, it, and then it allows me to teach even more. Coach, um, as you have transitioned from, from different places and just throughout your career in general, how have your leadership style changed and how has, the, has your players' mindsets changed? Well, that, yeah, that's a good question because it, it kind of ties into what I just said. So, you know, as a, as a player in the early 80s or late 70s, you know, you come from a generation where you were coached really hard. You know, it was my way or the highway and you, you did this or else. You know, you didn't play or all the things like me and, and, and there wasn't a lot of self-expression. Um, I played for and worked for a man that was, that was highly successful, uh, but yet highly demanding. Uh, and so when I started coaching, I, I emulated that to, to a certain degree. I was, I was boisterous, you know, the, the, the tall six, seven black man that on the sidelines screaming and yelling and, and carrying on uh, was very effective early on in, in my career. And although they didn't understand it, they respected it. Uh, that doesn't work today. You know, the, the, the times of Bobby Knight and people like that, that just kind of browbeat themselves into uh, or, or their teams into success. Uh, you know, there's only a few of those that exist anymore. And so you have to be able to uh, adjust. And so I think over time I've had, you know, I've not had to, I've, I've wanted to and enjoyed, you know, changing if, the, if you use that word, but I, I call it more evolving into what I was saying a few minutes ago and that, you know, players today are dramatically different. They, they have voices, uh, they have independence uh, and they, and they, and they want to be heard. And so you have to give them the space in which that they can display that independence, but yet they know the parameters in which they have to operate under to be successful, not just as a basketball player, but as, as a student athlete and, and in life as well. And so that, that balance is, is sometimes not an easy one to strike uh, because I'm comfortable with the person that I started out to be, but also have to be comfortable with the, with the person I've evolved into. Coach, I love how you talk about evolving. I think that's something that a lot of coaches can tend to struggle with. But what obstacles or struggles you see young coaches kind of have throughout this profession that that you maybe can give them some advice with? Well, the, the, the couple of things. The first thing is if you've made a determination that you want to be a coach, you know, as I said earlier, what, what's that definition? You know, and so uh, uh, there's many people who look at, at you who's uh, at the Division One level and doing a job or, or at the University of Kentucky where you're at Aisha and, and say, wow, I'd love to be there. Um, but that may or may not happen for you. So are you coaching for the, for the love of it, the love of teaching young people? Are you coaching for the self-rewards that come with it? So you have to figure that out. You know, if I told you, if you told me you wanted to be a coach and I told you, okay, you're going to be on the junior college level and not make a lot of money for 20 years, what would you say? You might say, well, I don't want to do that. And so then you don't want to be a coach. Because coaching is a very humble position uh, that, that, that means you got to sacrifice a whole lot, you know, specifically your time. And so uh, you may not make it. There's only a few people that make it to the level that we turn on the TV and see night in and night out. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. Uh, the, the second part about it is, is just understanding uh, as, a, as a young coach that, that um, you know, you, you've got to, as I said, have a, a, a certain way of handling your business so that people can see you in a way that's, that separates you. You know, you, you, people or coaches today look at it as competition. 
right? What happens to competition, particularly with black folk? And, and I say this in some of the, some of the meetings that I'm in and especially in the times that we're in, we, we subliminally or otherwise are taught to divide and conquer. So in order for me to succeed, I have to knock you down. Uh, people that, that understand success, whether they run a company or, or run an athletic department can see that. And so, uh, you know, that we, we might call it haterade or, you know, they'll see right through that. And, and, and that will, you know, severely hurt your opportunities to be looked at in a way that you want to be looked at to go to the places that you want to go. So, you know, you've got to uh, focus in on being the best human being that you can possibly be. You got to focus in on doing the best job that you possibly can do. And then you got to focus in most importantly on your craft. And, and if it takes you, you know, it's God's plan on where it's going to take you to. You know, it's not for you to decide. It's not for a lot of people around you to decide, but it's about opportunity. And in order to create that opportunity, you have to be looked at in a certain way and you can't fake it. You know, somewhere along the line, even if you become successful at recruiting or successful being around teams, people are going to eventually figure you out. And, and it's not going to last the way the way that it's supposed to or the way you want it to. So those two things, I think, are really uh, important parts to, especially for young coaches, understand I'm in this business and how do I navigate it? And most importantly, how do I how do I make this long lasting and successful? Coach, what's your favorite part about your job um, and, and what you do and being a leader at that program? Um, you know, the, the, the lighthearted moments. You know, favorite is 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 getting on a bus or a plane after win. We that that's that's the most uh, uh, enjoyable time. But you know, the journey um, is just the people that you meet. You know, there's not a lot of things that you can do where you're constantly meeting new people, constantly, whether it's recruiting or otherwise. And and so I like to think of myself as a as a pretty decent people person, and I love to have conversation about so many different. You know, parts of life. And so engaging in converse, uh, conversation with young people, uh, with families, with administrators, with people across the board in this sport, it really excites me. And it allows me to, to broaden myself uh, as a critical thinker or just, you know, learning every day. Uh, and so it's not just, you know, reading books or studying people or learning history, but it's, it's through conversation that I learn more about other people, which in turn helps me learn more about myself. So that, that's probably the most enjoyable part. Coach, what keeps you passionate and driven as you continue to maneuver your way through the midst of your career? Um, so, uh, you know, when I, when I was working as an assistant, you know, for Coach Calhoun, people would ask me, you know, what, what, what makes him so successful. And, and I said, he probably, you know, he, he's sometimes been a great big man coach or a great guard coach. He's, you know, produced pros. He's done that. He's one, but it was his passion and his competitive spirit. I think um, if there's anything that I took from him that I, that I have in my, in my daily life, it's that passion and competitive spirit. Uh, and so, you know, I think that comes through, especially in competition when game situations or practice situations uh i argue with the best of them you know i'm a, I'm a debater uh and and so i love that part about me to to say that i can bring that and hopefully instill that in other people uh, but that that's the thing that i hang my hat on the most coach you mentioned earlier about um helping your guys with their their mental health in this time um, i want to ask you even if the pandemic didn't happen 
Um, is mental health something that you kind of focus on in your career or is it something that you, you think about when it comes to serving your players? Um, I know it has become, um, you know, kind of big these last couple of years with, with the new generation. Um, and yeah. even with myself as a young professional, um, kind of how have that been on your radar within recent times? Well, if you, if you look at it this way, right? So I don't know exactly when that year was at that time where, where everything started moving so, so quickly. Um, so around a time where you didn't go and, and order the fast food from Wendy's or McDonald's or Burger King and went and went in the, uh, in the, in the restaurant and sat down and ate it, you went through the drive-through, right? So that's what we do, but that's the world we live in. We live through a drive-through world, everything we, we want and, and, and aspire to be, we want it to happen quickly. Um, so you have these, these high level athletes, um, who have reached a high level of success and want what they want very, very quickly. Um, so when, when the public sees them, they, you see this massive human being with all of these skills, but what they don't see is that they a lot of times lack for that same slow process of development. You know, they have had uh, skipped a lot of steps because of that fast food nature that we live by. Uh, to get to the point we're at. And so when you see them at 18 and 19, you, like they, you, you assume that they're fully developed and can, can have the same kind of self-confidence that, that their body exudes. Uh, and, and they think that too. So when uh, something happens that knocks them off stride, uh, they don't have a foundation as much to, to uh, rely on to get them through the issues of the day or, you know, the, the challenges of the moments that they're in. And so for me, uh, I try to focus in on that because I, I have seen that change to be able to say, you know, I understand, um, you know, I, I tell you stories of a guy coming to my office and we close the door and he just starts crying like a baby, you know, and, and, and cause he just can't figure things out when the world thinks that he's got it all figured out. And, and the people around him have told him that he's got it all figured out. And so, um, you know, I'm very careful with it because I don't I don't have a degree in psychology, so I have to be adherent to the experts. But at the same point in time, I think I've been around uh, uh, enough to at least offer uh, some advice and some counsel as to how you know better you can look at yourself in the mirror and feel that you at least can, if nothing else, can ask for help. You know, in, in that department, and so uh, in, in the next five and ten years, it's going to be even more critical because I think not just because of the times that we're in, but I think the, the, the world has moved towards what I want and how do I get it as quickly as I can. And that means that there's going to be a whole lot of fallout, particularly for, for young black people and athletes because we work in this profession and how they deal with success or how they deal with a lack of success as it relates to the person inside. Coach, you're at a place where you recruit high-level talent to where those guys' mindset is to to play after college, to be in the NBA, to be a professional. Um, how do you keep those young guys grounded and then push them to, to be able to achieve the goals that they want, but also prepare them for life after basketball? Mm -hmm. so, so the first part of it is how do I keep them grounded? And that's a very you know, difficult challenge because every, sometimes everybody but me uh, is, is, is getting them ready for the highest level. You know, and, and I don't I don't I don't want to lie to them or anything. I want to give everybody an opportunity, uh, but I got to be realistic. And so, you know, it, it, you, you start introducing the concept of, of life after basketball, whenever that will come. It could be at 
40 years old or 35 years old or 25 years old or when you leave college. So we have to think about that at least sometimes uh, because it's going to happen. And hopefully it happens later rather than sooner. And so you have to, to, to have those conversations yet, you know, allow them to, to dream and dream big because that's, you know, well, we all have done that. And we, you know, I wouldn't be where I was where I am today if I didn't dream big. So you have to honor that, that, that dream. Uh, but then the other part of it too is, is if you're going to do that, then three things, in my opinion, that I always talk about come into play, right? How much God given ability do you have? Right. And, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, the, the, to make an NBA, you have to have this much or not make you have this much. There's, there's sometimes a very small separation between the guys or the women that make it and don't make it. So you have to have that God given ability. Then what's the definition of a work ethic? Right. So and, and both of you, your, your gyms and gyms across the country or in any sport, you say, what? I want you to work hard. OK. So what does that mean? Uh, there's a difference between working hard and insatiable working. So if you have a God-given talent and you start understanding what an insatiable work ethic is, then that starts to bridge the gap a little bit more. Then the third part is the most difficult part because, you know, it goes to what I was saying before is, is you have to, and, I, and, and this is a very broad-based word, uh, but you have to have wherewithal. Right? What's the definition of wherewithal? It means that you have an it factor, that you can figure out situations that a lot of people can't. Okay, I worked in the in the G League or was a D League at the time for a year. And I and I discovered that there were many, many guys that were in that league that were NBA workers and NBA talent. But they weren't in the NBA because they could not figure things out, whether it's their coach. You know, I didn't get along with my coach or, you know, I didn't wasn't allowed to do this or I was trying to transition positions or this was asked me and they just couldn't figure it out. And so that's the key component to having somebody that can that can you know, make it. Uh, and, and that's the part that I focus on as much as anything else is yes, you got God given ability. Uh, I got to get you to understand that you got to be the hardest worker, uh, and not just in our gym, but gyms across the country. And then you got to have an understanding of what you're in the middle of. And, and if you can do that, now we can talk about where that's going to take you from the sport that you love, but it's also going to take you to other parts of your life that you're going to be successful in because those things translate, you know, a work ethic translates to the business world as it does to the athletic world and wherewithal translates as well. Coach, since you've been a head coach, what has been something that you have had to, to figure out? (laughs) Uh, Well, what is something I had to figure out? Um, Who's on my side and who's not? You know, who can I trust and who can I cannot, who can I can't. And, and you know, I've, I've made my fair share of mistakes along the way in a lot of different areas, uh, particularly in, in judging people, um, because, as I mentioned before, people control um, this world and, and you have to be able to figure them out. Um, so that has been a, a real challenge. You know, again, I think I've been on the good side of it because. I, as, as much as I've moved and around, I haven't been as many places as other coaches have been. I've, I've two stints at my alma mater, Northeastern, two stints at Connecticut, uh, two stints here at DePaul, and then, you know, a stint as a head coach at Virginia. And so um, somewhere along the line, I've had to um, sometimes figure out who I can trust along the way, you know, and, and to, to put my life in their hands and my success in their hands in, in terms of you know, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. Coach, I want to go back a little bit, and I want to talk about you being in the role that you're in. 
And I want you to talk, tell us why that role for you as a black man is important for those coming behind you to hopefully want to be in the same seat you're in. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I'll tell you, uh, if we got a little time, a short story. So um, my nationality, I'm, uh, I'm black, quite obviously, but you know, we all come from different spaces and different places. And so uh, I'm Cape Verdean. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but Cape Verdeans are, are uh, a very small cluster of people that come from a, a group of islands off the coast of Africa. And not very many people know who they are or where they come from. And, and so I always found myself early on in my life having to explain my last name or explain where I came from and all those kind of things. And so uh, it, it didn't always create a sense of pride because you always had to answer questions as to who you are you know, and, and, and what you look like and those kind of things. And so um, once I understood that we all come under the same umbrella uh, and, and it created that sense of pride in who I am, it, it allowed me as a, as a black man uh, to invest myself in the process of being a strong black man, you know, for my family, uh, but most importantly for myself is, is how, how I want other people to view me. And so in, in 1988, uh, I joined what was what was then the beginning of the BCA, which is the Black Coaches Association, and and that that gave you know a lot of coaches um, an opportunity to to be joined together with that sense of pride and allow us to move in a re- direction in this business that had never been done before, and so I dove in head first. Uh, I you know was part of it you know for different stages of years. I immersed wholeheartedly. There were some years that I that I wasn't as as involved. Um, and then, you know, probably in the 2000 and probably eight or nine or 10, I decided to, to be, to reinvest and do even more. I became the president uh, of the, of the organization. And, you know, that meant I had you know, to represent all black coaches across the board and all sports at all levels. And so, um, even now, as we navigate these difficult times socially, uh, to reinvest myself in the process of, 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 being a coach, yes, being a mentor, yes, but being a black man first. And what that does, you know, to my place in society becomes really, really important. Uh, and it give me it gives me a sense of pride that I'm doing more for others than I hopefully am doing for myself because I my experiences should mean something. And and if I could, you know, give that to somebody along the line, maybe I've helped somebody that that would, you know, the way I was helped when I was younger. Uh, and so uh, I take a great amount of pride in, in being that. You know, I was the the first black coach in the history of the school at the University of Virginia. And so uh, that is a sense of pride and nobody can take that from me, whether I was successful there or not. And so, you know, those are the kind of things that, that you know, allow me to navigate myself through this business with with the kind of pride that that is necessary and that is needed, you know, for for not just me, for, but for those who are undervalued and underappreciated. Coach, what, what is one thing that's your God-given gift? Um, what has been the thing that you leaned on, you know, to navigate yourself through this, through your career? Oh, boy. That's, boy, you, you asked me some tough questions. <laughs> Not tough in a sense, but you know what? The, the one thing, I don't know if there is one thing, but if you want me to zero in on one thing, it's probably perseverance. Um, you know, um, realizing that, that, you know, when, when, anything that you want to do. And I have, a, I have a saying, right? So so when things are going well in your life, this is my, my saying, this is biblical. When things are going really well in your life, 
uh, be careful because there's, there's, there's a challenge and it could be a very big challenge, you know, coming right ahead of it, you know, right. And so you gotta be ready. Uh, and then when you're going through your darkest moments and you're challenged the most, be, be, be faithful and, and persevere because there's a gift that's waiting for you that you have to be ready for. So that just becomes a balance of life. And so it's allowed me on, on both when I'm being successful to, to persevere through that and not get ahead of myself because there's a challenge along the way or the many challenges that I've been through uh, to stay the course because somewhere along the line, if you, if you keep doing it and you keep doing it right, things are going to turn out in your favor. And so that's probably the, the biggest thing that I've probably leaned on is the ability to persevere through a lot of different situations. Coach, this is a, I guess, a more of a personal question, but how have you stayed true to your faith throughout your career? So that's 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 a, a subject we can talk for hours about, right? So so, um, you know, faith is is one of the two words that that to me define uh, life itself, right? Uh, trust, which is so very hard to to come by, and faith, which is a believe in something that you cannot see. Okay, so there's so many instances in everybody's life and me being no different that you have to be faithful uh, and that that comes straight you know, from from the good book. You know, whatever book somebody reads is to have the ability to be faithful uh, to whatever and whomever the situation is that you're in the middle of, you know, and, and uh, it gets tested every single day. You know, we live in a very capitalistic society in order to make money the way people want to make money is, you know, to wake up tomorrow and make more money than you made yesterday is going to challenge your faith, you know, because it's going to ask you to do things away from what, you know, you, you, you were raised to be or that you, that you want to be. Uh, and so that, that test comes at you every single day. Uh, so it's not just a capitalism, but it's the way we live life, you know, and, and a lot of times it means that you have to live a lonely existence. Uh, because you believe in something and you're going to live life a certain way where many others around you are not. Uh, and when you see those people become successful, you know, it can tend to, to bend your thought process to, well, maybe I can, you know, do things that way and get the things that they get. Um, but, but, you know, life doesn't, life doesn't work like that. You know, if you're going to be uh, prayerful, if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to be spiritual, if you're going to live by a certain set of standards that you, that, that come directly from, uh, you, your belief in God, uh, then, you know, you, you, it's humbling, you know, and, and, and you have to be able to understand that, that faith and trust is going to get you a lot further than those compromising things that you see in the world that we live in. Well, you definitely said something there. Um, <laughs> you know, cause you know, even when I, when I started out, you know, I had, I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do. Then once I got in, I started looking around. I was like, that was like the worst thing um, that I could do was just start looking around and trying to, um, you know, what is somebody else doing? What is somebody else doing? Um, but coach, can you highlight that moment in your career? It could be as a head coach as an, or as an assistant where um, like a moment or a time, something happened that you was like, man, I have a future in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as a, as an assistant, you know, as I said, I I I was only two years in the business, and I went from Northeastern, which was a, a small or mid major school at the time, to an assistant at at Connecticut, which is on you know the the highest level of, of basketball. And at the time, you know, back when I got there in 1986, you know, it wasn't the UConn that you know with 11 championships on the women's side and 
four championships on the men. It was in both sports. It was the bottom of the barrel. It was the lowest level of the Big East, uh, and it was not respected. And so um, that everyday grind to gain nothing more than respect first became something that we tried to do. Okay, and so um, recruiting as an assistant becomes your lifeblood. Uh, so I have a tremendous personal relationship with Danielle Marshall, who um, came to UConn in 1991 or 92 uh, as a high school American, but it was the first major recruit that I had ever successfully gotten, you know, and I, and I, and I say that humbly because I, I probably shouldn't say it because I never, ever, ever used the word I, and we as a staff never used the word I, it was always we. So um, I, that part, I, if I said it, I take it back because it was we, but, but the closest that, that we had in the recruiting process is his family uh, allowed me to know that, you know what, here's this young guy that, that came from, humble beginnings that didn't even think of being a coach and here you are recruiting at the highest level and doing it successfully. And it kind of gave me uh, the thought that, you know, I could, I could do some things in this business. And I, and I remember a colleague of mine, we're at a AAU tournament out in Arizona and he asked me, you know, he's like, Hey, I, I love being an assistant. I want to be that for the rest of rest of my career. And what do you want to do? And I said, well, without even knowing what I meant by saying it, I, I want to be a head coach. Uh, and so, um, that moment in time and, and recruiting gave me, you know, a lot of impetus to, to, to believe that I could be a head coach and tackle the things that, that being a successful head coach could potentially do, which I really never, ever thought of, you know, before I started coaching or even as my career unfolded, you know, I, I, I was just invested in, in, in doing my job every day and not knowing what it would lead to. Coach, how did you avoid the stigma as a, as a black coach? of being just a recruiter? Um, so one, you have to be really good at doing that so that people notice you. So uh, I tried to become the best recruiter I could possibly be. But, you know, I, I learned a long time ago, and this is more than just literal, that you, 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 you dress, somebody told me a long time ago, dress one position higher than the one you, you already have. But that didn't mean your physical appearance or what you wore to work every day. It meant, you know, how you thought every day. And so you're going to walk the halls of your university. You're going to be, you know, in meetings, you're going to be across campus. You're going to be around professors. You're going to be around administrators and they get to judge you, you know, by virtue of your appearance. So that's, you know, that's non-negotiable. So you have to look a certain way uh, and, and, and dress a certain way, but then you have to speak and articulate a certain way so that people not just know where you're coming from, but they, but they understand your spirit. You know, and 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 it aligns with success, and 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 you learn those things along the way through trial and error, and sometimes you make critical mistakes and situations. Or goodness gracious, I uh, I didn't handle this situation properly, and you learn from it and, and move on. Uh, but you know, you want people to see you, and you want to travel in circles that take you away from not even just being a recruiter, but but being a basketball person. You know, so I do that with our guys now is like, you know, when they get here, we're going to get you a suit, a tie, some shoes, and we're going to put you in places away from how people perceive you to be a guy that, that plays basketball and successful with shorts on and a game jersey. And so they need to see you in a different light because you are different. And so kind of I, I got that theory from how how I learned to, to navigate through this business to, you know, get to know an athletic director on your campus, to get to know a professor, to get to know other people, to get to know the people that run your bookstore, to get to know the people at all different levels 
so that they see you as something other than what they perceive you to be. And we as we as black people suffer from that. You know, we, we're, we're put in this box and we're stigmatized. That's part of the problem we face today is the police, when the police officer sees you, they make an assumption as to who you are and they have no idea where you come from. You know, you could be a doctor and just have sweats on and they're going to assume that you, you know, you, you're, you're there to rob and pillage and, and do things that they that they think that you are as a as a human being or as a race. Yeah. That's sad. It's funny because I kind of live for the moment where somebody find out who I am or find out where I work. Like I live for the moment they're looking at me crazy and they're like, oh, you know, and everything about their approach change. Um, but I love how you say, you know, you you encourage your players to to do things different outside of basketball. You go get them a suit and do things like that. Um, I, I want to ask you, do you ever have any resistance um, from your players with that? And if you do, um, how do you handle it? How do you encourage them to see the bigger picture? Yeah, yeah, you do get resistance because what they want to do is, you know, they want to they want to uh, uh, be in a gym. They want to be on on Xbox. They want to be, you know, doing things that teenagers or young people like to do. It's it's abnormal. Uh, they can't see into the future like I can see the future for them. Uh, but what happens is, you know, when when you bring somebody uh, uh, to to a party and at the end of the party, they enjoy themselves, they appreciate it for you. So if you put them in a situation uh, that, that they may not necessarily know is good for them, and afterwards they find out, you know, because that person may see, help them see themselves in a different light, and they realize a part of themselves that they didn't know uh, that they could highlight, then they become more appreciative of it. And, uh, and so it's, it's not an easy thing because, you know, there's a regiment that they're used to following that they want to continue to follow them. And you have to kind of break them out of some parts of that and put them in, you know, uncomfortable situations so that they can learn one to be comfortable while being uncomfortable and two, that they can benefit from, from that new level of comfort that they found. As we wrap up, this is the black excellence podcast and we deem you to be someone that is black excellence. We thank you for sharing your story and sharing your journey uh, we know, Coach, at some point, you, we know you're going to want to pass the, the crown along to the next generation. And when that time comes, what one message would you leave in that crown for that individual? Wow, that's a, that's a very, very, very uh, awe-inspiring phrase, question. And, um, you know, I, I, in any place that I've been, I've tried to leave it better than when I got there, right? So as, as my time will come to a close in this profession in whatever amount of years that, that, that uh, God willing that I, that I remain doing what I'm doing, um, one, I want to have left this profession better than when I, when I entered into it in, in 1984. And I, and I want to be, I want to be remembered, as I mentioned before, not for the, the wins that I've had or the championships that I've been a part of, but for, for the legacy of, of, teaching that that uh, somebody gave to me you know I, I I'm at where I'm at because somebody taught me some very valuable lessons and if I have passed those lessons along to our players or anybody that I've ever been around coaches young coaches then uh, I'll feel like you know I've left something that's worthwhile you know I, I can't put anybody in a situation where I can guarantee them success or wins or what have you 
but hopefully my words and my actions over a long period of time could put them in a situation where they can one grow for themselves and then they can be teachers and give it to a generation that's going to come behind them. I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Rising Coaches for partnering with us and giving us this platform um, to share these amazing stories real quick. Guys, if you are not a member of Rising Coaches and you are in the basketball profession, you want to coach, you're a seasoned coach, you're a beginner coach, it does not matter. I want to encourage you to check out Rising Coaches. Um, Join Rising Coaches and become a member of the largest coaching tree in basketball. Over 1,300 members from all levels, high school to NBA, gain access to over 1,000 hours of coaching clinics um, and build genuine relationships with other coaches. Rising Coaches provides the community and the resources that will help you have long-term success in the coaching industry. Please visit Rising Coaches to join or if you got any questions, hit me up.